Acts 2, 41 to 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Thank you, Sarah, for reading. It was a couple of years ago that I read an article, and it was about my hometown, and it wasn't particularly complimentary, and it was pretty dismissive. It was describing in detail like roads that I had driven on for a long time, a good portion of my life, and, and restaurants I had gone to, and it was just an article not kind of, kind of making fun and demeaning those things. And it was frustrating because you could tell even by the way the article was written, someone had not really even spent much time in the town. Otherwise, they would have known certain things and why certain things were the way they were. And I, I mention that because there's sometimes where I feel like I hear Christianity talked about. Maybe a celebrity or it comes up in the news and there's a frustration in me because I'm like, oh, this is not even, you're, you're not even talking about it right. This isn't exactly the way it should be portrayed. Or you see a, in a documentary or a movie, you see how church is portrayed. Or maybe there's a comment of in a, in a political way that says, well, evangelicals are, and you want to go, well, I, I think I would word that differently. I don't think you actually know all of what you're talking about, or certainly, well, you know how the Baptists are. And so, I certainly like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I wish you would include this, this, and this, because I don't think you've given a complete picture. For all my desire, though, to like, okay, wait, this is not the way it is. I, I do have to admit, I do have to admit Sometimes critics make some very valid points. Sometimes we as Christians, sometimes as the church, we've not been nearly as clear as we need to be as we should be about what we are doing, why we are gathered here. That's why a text like Sarah just read a moment ago helps me really think through, like, do we understand what the church is all about. What's it all for? So if you'll let me, can I, can I do a hypothetical scenario? So these are it's just random names, but you could imagine in a group like this, there might be groups of people. So imagine sitting in a certain section, there might be a group of people, and if you were to kind of talk to them about their church experience, you could imagine, well, you talk to Jim, and Jim grew up in church, and all his life, and he knows the drill whatever the drill is, he knows it. And it's clear, like he, he knows when to stand, sit, everything. He's got it all down. He knows what's coming next. And he's sitting next to Colin, and Colin was confirmed, whatever that means to Colin. And he's kind of interested in this church thing, thinks that may be something he wants to invest his time in. And next to Colin sits Tanya, and Tanya is uh, kind of comes at Christmas and Easter, and maybe, maybe she'll come other times if you know, a friend or a coworker invites her. She's glad to come. But that kind of is church to her, especially the holidays. And 
Tanya sits next to Susan, who really remembers her first communion, but not much about church beyond that, and kind of thinks of it like maybe a good place now that she's been through a divorce to get her life back together. And then Susan sits next to the Thomas family, and the Thomas family, they've been around a while. They've kind of seen it all, the good, bad, and the ugly with church. And they seem pretty committed, but even as they see through the flaws, they know church is a place where they can hang out with their friends. And church tends to be a place where there are lots of good people, so who would want to hang out with some good people? And maybe even they hope on a Sunday that the music's good, and certainly was this morning, and maybe the teaching will be interesting, which I certainly hope it is today. But, but one of the big reasons they come is they know, like, church is a great place for kids. And they want their kids to have some good framework for their life, so they bring their kids and know kids are going to be well taken care of. So, question, that group of people, which I don't think it's hard to project that group of people sitting somewhere in a room like this, is that, is that really what it's all about? Today, though, today, I want you to notice some defining traits of the church right there at the beginning. So this is what we have to remember, like, it does grow. This is like the simple form in Acts chapter 2. The end of Acts chapter 2 gives us a, a simple form of what the church is. It grows. It gets much more complicated, even in the book of Acts. So it's not as if we can be simplistic about it, but there is a simplicity about Acts 2 that I think is so helpful because here at the beginning, we have 3,000 people who have just been baptized and they've been added to the group of followers of Jesus. What's going to make them a community? What is going to make them? How is God going to build their lives together? We get some defining traits of the church, and one of those we even looked at last week, just for a moment, can we review one of the defining traits of the church we see in Acts 2.38? So after, after Jesus had risen and Peter is preaching a message of the risen Jesus and all that that means for us today, which is what we looked at last week, he says to them, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and, and you will, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if we had one trait, we could certainly start out here. It's a decision, a decision to repent and identify with Jesus Christ. So how should we think about the church? What would be the right categories? What would be the right traits that we would say, this describes the church? We would have to at least start with how Peter did, repent and be baptized. In your baptism, you're identifying with Jesus. What a different message than so many that are, are even thought of or, or taught today, where, where a main message of our world is, you know, pull yourself up. You can, you can make a lot of money giving a self-help strategy. You can, tell, you can make a lot of money telling people they need to learn to accept themselves as is. And yet, what a very different message here. It's turning to Jesus, identifying with Him, His life for yours, His death in your place. Your identity becomes wrapped up, wrapped up in Him to the point where even in your baptism, it's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Everything's becoming new. This is what it means to identify with Jesus. He takes you, definitely, He takes you as is, and then He goes to work. And as he goes to work on us, he is restoring a masterpiece. He is making us, remaking us into the image of his son. He's bringing areas of our life that would harm us. He's bringing those back into his control. 
we're looking more and more like Christ, that's the goal. That takes a lifetime. But this would have to be a defining trait of those who call themselves the church, is we repent and we identify with Jesus. But there's a defining trait of the community of Jesus, even in this passage that we looked at and Sarah read for us a moment ago. Can I just call your attention? Again, I hope you keep Acts 2 in front of you, but look at verse 42. Acts 2 and 42. Here's another trait of those people that would be described as the church, the first community of Jesus. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's significant. They're not even just devoted. Look at that. It's not just that they're devoted to Jesus, although they are. It's not just that they're devoted to the teaching of Jesus, although they are. It says they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. One way I would, I would word that, maybe paraphrase a little bit, is they, they were devoted to the authority of Jesus that was coming through the teaching of the apostles. I bring up the word authority, and I'll show you why in just a moment, but this is what they were devoted to, the authority of Jesus as coming through the teaching of the apostles. So the first disciples, they're not just like, well, just show me the red letters, what Jesus said. That's all I need. They're actually listening to the teaching of the apostles as if there's really no distinction between the red letters and the black letters. It's all from God. It's all God-breathed. It's all important for our growth. I want you to see a connection because how do we get to the teaching of the apostles and why that was so formative to this early church? Why we should submit ourselves to Jesus as we submit ourselves to the teaching of the apostles? Well, first, Jesus taught apostles. He taught them how life is to be lived. The apostles heard Jesus teach. The Holy Spirit, though, does something with this teaching that Jesus gave to his first followers, the apostles. The Holy Spirit animates that, brings that to life, and I know that because of passages like John 14. So John 14 and verse 25, Jesus speaking, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. And remember, he's told them, I'm getting ready to leave. So they would likely be thinking, well, you're going to leave and we're going to forget. And he says, no, no, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things. He's going to bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Look at John 16 and verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to take this teaching that Jesus did with His apostles for three years, and He's going to animate that. He's going to make that come alive. And the Holy Spirit's not going to speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, for He will take what is mine, and He will declare it to you. That is why in Matthew 28... The disciples go with the commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And of course, as we've read in Acts 3, you or Acts 2, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you teach them to obey, to observe everything that I've commanded you. So Jesus has taught his apostles. He has taught them how to live. He has commanded them ways they're supposed to live. But now we see the apostles are going to teach more disciples. And their curriculum is going to be the teaching of Jesus. They're going to bring that to bear on lives. They're devoted to the authority of Jesus. 
How, how would you know, though, that the disciples were really authentic and authoritative messengers bringing a message that you needed to listen to? I believe God, in His wisdom, authenticated their message. You know what authentication is? So when you, like, look at your device, you sometimes put a thumbprint on or you enter a code or it has some facial recognition that says, you're authorized to get into this device and do whatever you need to do. What was the authentication to say, these really are followers of Jesus who have authority to speak in His name? I believe it was the miracles. Look at verse 43. It says, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So now they are authenticating their message by these signs and wonders. What we know is Jesus would do miracles. He would do miracles to show He truly was God in flesh. He would do miracles to take those that were outcasts from society and bring them back into community. He would do miracles to give a taste of what new heavens and new earth are going to look like when everything's restored, that age he was ushering in. And now the apostles are also doing the miracles. They're also doing the signs and wonders. The early church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, and in doing that, they are devoting themselves to the authority of Jesus. The apostles have the authority of Jesus, so we listen to what they say. So, who are the apostles? Well, apostles like Peter, we listen to what he has to say. Apostles like John, we listen to what he has to say. Like Matthew, like Paul, even, even other messengers like Jude and James that have the commission of Jesus, the, they give us a body of core things, what Acts 20 would say is the, the whole counsel of God. What Paul would say in 2 Timothy 1 is the, a good deposit that's been entrusted to you. And then they tell us, in light of this whole counsel, in light of this good deposit that's been entrusted to you, here's how you should live. So yesterday, I, it, it dawned on me, we were listening to Charlie talk at the men's breakfast, and he was talking particularly about Ephesians, and we were listening to the apostles' teaching. This is how you live. This is how you're supposed to live your life, our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, our relationship to the world we live in. The apostles are going to tell us how to stand firm in suffering. The apostles are going to tell us, the apostles of Jesus are going to give us the instruction and the authority of Jesus and how we are to live our lives ethically and, and even as it relates to our sexuality. We're going to hear the authority of the apostles, and it really is the authority of Jesus. When we, how are we going to utilize the time we have? How are we going to enjoy this world without being entangled in it? The authority of Jesus comes and we submit. There aren't that many other alternatives other than like, well, if you don't accept the authority of the apostles and the authority of Jesus, I guess you can look for another Messiah. I guess you can look for another philosophy. I guess you can find a different answer to the questions of why you're here and what's wrong with this world. And how is it going to be made right? And where is all this going for eternity? I guess you could kind of try to make up your own way in that. But I, I, I know you'll never find exactly the story that is given to us through the apostles of the grace of Jesus. But if Jesus didn't rise, if Pentecost never happened, if, if God really didn't care about the world, you just, maybe you ought to just wing it. Kind of trust your gut. 
Listen to whatever inner voice of reality you want to listen to. But frankly, that all breaks down for me because I've trusted my intuition at times and it has taken me down a wrong road. I've trusted in what feels good and it's left me not feeling so good in the end. And if I'm going to entrust something like decisions of this magnitude, I want something more than just, yeah, it just kind of felt right to me. I want to know there's this outside authority that is powerful and comes straight from God himself. And that's what we have with the teachings of the apostles as they tell us the authority of Jesus. So where, question church, where is this showing up in your life? If passages like this can function as a mirror and they say, okay, this is what they are doing, do you kind of match that picture? Where are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Are you learning? Are you growing? I do know you're at a church where this is a big priority. Putting our lives under the authority of Jesus, submitting to what he says, even through the apostles, this is a big priority. Where's your mind being renewed and changed and focused? Does that need to grow? I think that's a question worth asking. I think it's a question you need to answer. I can't answer it for you. There's another trait, though, in verse 42. So it's not just that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. I want you to see another trait. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Let's keep reading to kind of expand that idea of what fellowship is. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. You skip down to verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God and they were having favor with all the people. There's a whole lot going, going on there, but if you go back to verse 42, you see something that they were devoted to. They were vo- devoted to what we could say is a shared life with the people of Jesus. They were devoted to fellowship, and by that I mean a shared life with the people of Jesus. Who are the people of Jesus? Well, in verse 41, they're the people who receive His Word. In verse 44, it's the people who are believing. In verse 47, it's the people who are being saved. These are the people of Jesus, and they are devoted to fellowship, to a shared life with them. That's what fellowship is is meant to, to tell us. It's from the Greek word, and some of you are familiar with the word koinonia, which it's just a, another word for partnership or fellowship. They, it says in verse 42, they, they eat together. So kind of there's a horizontal dimension to this fellowship, which they break bread together. There's also a, a vertical dimension in that they pray together. It says they were devoted to the prayers. What kind of prayers? Maybe, maybe the prayer like the Lord gave them. And, and have you noticed like the prayer that the Lord gave us to pray and he said, pray in this way. It's actually a lot of plural pronouns there. When you say my father, we say our father. Forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. We need, give us our, our daily bread. Forgive us where we've sinned. They were devoted to the prayers. It says in verse 44, all who believed. I love the way this translation says that they were together. They were together. There was a unity. I mean, physically, they were together. 
And then their resources are together. Their time is together. Their, their energy is together. Their, their love, their heart is together. This is what Jesus in, intended, that there would be communities like ours, that when someone dies and someone's buried, we're together. And when someone is born and someone's married, we're together. And when someone goes through the valley of the shadow of death, we're together. And when someone has the brightest days they've ever had, we're together in that. When someone goes through financial hardship, we're together. When someone walks through the difficult road of mental illness, we're together. When someone is fighting their sin, we're together. When someone confesses, we're together. When someone gets impatient, we're still together. Ah, These are people. These are people just like you and I. I mean, these are people that get frustrated with each other. And yet it says there's something about them. They are together. They're not perfect. But when there are family blow-ups, they're together. They don't demand control over each other. That's not the community. But they care enough to look out for each other's good. Not to take, but to give. They're together. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They had property. This doesn't say they just all like dissolved all their private property, gave the deeds to the church, and like they couldn't... Nobody could have any property around there. It actually says, no, they, they had homes which they owned. They had property that belonged to them. But what they realized is, first and foremost, this property, whatever the Lord's given me, my possessions, my stuff, is first of all His. And so I certainly need stuff to take care of my life, but whatever else I have, it's, it's ultimately the Lord's anyway. So if He's calling on me to give, if He's prompting me to give, well, then I ought to share these things that I have if it can be used in service of God's people. It says in verse 45, they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Nothing was forced here, but there were needs. There are always needs. Someone gets isolated. They don't have family structures. That certainly would have happened back in their day. could happen in our day, and they need some support. Someone, there's no safety net. Maybe the safety net didn't work that government would provide, and, and there are needs. There are There are things where the Lord prompts us to to give. Tangible reminders that God cares, and here I am showing up, reminding you that God cares. Church had no issue encouraging every member to be responsible, but it looked out for those that were vulnerable. I see some of this go on at our church. So maybe you you don't attend here, maybe it's your first time, or maybe you're not like really familiar with Ogletown Baptist Church, but this is what I know for a fact. I know some of you have grocery bills that are higher because you, you buy food and you cook it and you take it to people in need and your grocery bill could be lower, but you, you take money and you invest it in this way because you care just like they did. I know some of you, like you have to refuel more often at the gas station because you're taking people, you're giving them rides, you're you're being there for them, and, and you could live life on your own. You could just do things your own way, and it wouldn't cost you a lot extra, but you are putting money in. You are putting time in. You're putting in time, in, and that's a limited commodity, but you care. You're investing that. Sometimes there's large bags filled with clothes that are being passed on to others, and, and it's in good shape, and another person now doesn't have to go out and buy clothes because someone in this congregation cared. And I know of situations where groceries showed up on someone's front porch, just to help them get through the week. 
because things were a little tight. This is the community of Jesus. This is what it looks like. And it says in verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Day by day they knew these people are for us and we are for them. And we'll meet together. It says they met together in the temple. I think that's because you got 3,000 people. That's a large meeting space. You, you need a large meeting space like the temple. But even after that, they're gathering in homes, food served. You heard an announcement earlier about community groups. It's not just one more thing to fill your calendar. It's because we read passages like this and we say, Christians are getting together in other homes. How do we, how do we live our life with that as a, as a part of who we are? So, so eventually, someone's going to have to like, not just wait for a while, be nice to be invited over to someone's house then. Someone here is going to have to take the initiative to say, you want to come over? Here's a few dates. Would any of those work? Someone's going to have to take the initiative to say, could you, could you meet for lunch? Someone could, could maybe even say that today. Hey, we're going out to eat. Would you like to come along? I mean, these are the ways, kind of common ways that takes shape in the life of a community like ours. Someone has to take the initiative. Maybe God's calling on you to do that. Someone has to go first. I mean, there is an alternative to this kind of community, and that is like, you could just find a tribe that all think like you, process the world like you do, maybe even look like you, and kind of just form your, your tribe, you pay your dues and rally around that. But, I mean, frankly, if Jesus, if Jesus didn't leave behind an empty tomb, if he never sent the Holy Spirit, if there really isn't a Heavenly Father who loves you, then that'd be the way to do it. Treat churches like this, just treat them as a consumer. If you get something out of it that you want, then good for you. If you don't, then just take your interest somewhere else. That would be the way to treat it. But if Jesus really is risen and he has sent his spirit and he is building his church, and I think God calls on us more. I hear sometimes, I hear sometimes, and it's actually not uncommon these days to for someone to say, I like Jesus, I just don't like ah, organized religion. But I'm really all about Jesus. And it sounds really nice. And yet I find like, it doesn't really work like that. Because there's some things in your life you, you can't like take one without the other. I don't, I don't really find people saying, I just don't like organized transportation. I don't like traffic lights and airline flight plans. I don't like organized transportation. Speed limits. I don't like that there are laws against driving under the influence. I don't like that railroad, yeah, trains have to go down tracks. I don't, I don't like organized transportation. There are so many things in life that, that just break down. I don't like roads. I mean, there's so many things you realize this is crazy. That it doesn't even work like that. I get the idea to say, I like Jesus, I just don't like you know, all the organized stuff. What I realize is it's certainly a lot less messy to do it that way. And you can just dabble and make it up as you go. But in, in the end, you're kind of just making your walk with God kind of all about you. That's where all that goes in the end. And frankly, Jesus didn't leave us the option. What Jesus gave us is a community. And then there's going to be elements of our organization as a church that are messed up. Some, are, some may even be painful. I hope not, but I've been around church long enough to know this is reality. 
But if you're going to follow Jesus, the normal path will be in a relationship with others who follow him. You're going to be devoted to them. There's going to be some organization that kind of supports that. We're in fellowship. We're part of a partnership. We receive and we give so much more. Man, so much more we could say, but all this makes me think. And I love verse 47. I love how Acts 2 ends. Do you notice that last sentence? Just pay attention. Pay attention to the words. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. What's the subject of that sentence? The Lord. The Lord added. The Lord, well, of course he did, because he's the chief shepherd, he's the pastor of the church. He's the one that's going to look for the one lost sheep. He's the, he's the one going to do that. He's the one that bought the church, not with his money, but with his blood. Of course he's going to be the one doing the activity. We are his bride. He is the, the sovereign, the, the one in charge. And notice the verb there, he's the one who adds. The Lord added, which tells us something embedded in this idea of church is that it would grow. There was this great first wave of Christians, 3,000. But now it gets down to something not just miraculous, one day of 3,000, but then now it gets to day by day. Day by day, the Lord is going to add to his church those who he is rescuing from darkness and bringing into light. There are days, there are weeks that are tiring. I know this message is landing on some people that are very, like you've never even, you've never had a deep dive into church. And some of you, man, that's all you've had is deep dive into church. And some days it just gets tiring and gets wearying. But when I read verses like this, frankly, it, it will be what motivates me tomorrow morning to look forward to another week of pouring my life out for the Lord in this ministry. It's because I know the Lord is doing something that I may not even be able to see with my eyes. I know the Lord is adding day by day those who are being rescued. I know there are families that are handing down their faith to another generation, and this is the kind of body that's going to support that. I know there are, are people, there are neighbors and associates of people in this room right now and your neighbors and your associates are going to see the love that we have for each other. And it's going to blow categories. They're not even going to know that it's possible for what seems to be someone not even in your stage of life, not even in your category, your socioeconomic category. But someone's going to care for you, and, and you're going to introduce them to a church that is centered around Jesus, devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship. I know that love is going to spill out into a community where strangers are going to become friends. They're going to observe something different. They're going to hear something different. And I believe with all my heart the Lord is going to use our church. And He is going to add people day by day, those who are being saved. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. And they are going to be devoted to the fellowship. And our church is going to be stronger and better because of that. So, do you have a clear idea of what it looks like, not just to dabble with church, but actually to be deeply invested? I, I, hope, I hope you do. And there's something, I know some of this is subjective, but man, some of this is just really objective. It's kind of like a, a stopwatch saying, this is the time. We can't fudge that. This is the exact time. I, I wonder if some of this would function that way for us today.
for us to just hold up to our lives and go, what is this text telling me today? Is it correcting some wrong thinking? Maybe I've just gotten tired of the church. Maybe it's correcting my wrong feeling. Maybe it's calling me to do something new. It's moving my heart to say, I know I've been, I've struggled at church before, but God's calling on me to say yes to this next step. What is next in your life so that you can more deeply experience the grace that's offered in this passage and be, be an active part of the community of Jesus? That's what I desire for all of us. Can I pray? So Lord, that's what I desire. You know that. And you know exactly how this message needs to land. You know those that need to hear a call from you to go deeper in relationships, go deeper in the teaching of the apostles. You know those that need a wave of grace because they've been burned, they've been hurt, and it's hard for them to even trust the church again. You know, you know that, Lord. You know those that are sorting it out, like they don't quite understand what it means to be even a follower of Jesus, and yet they see something here, they're drawn to people here, they're drawn to the love that is shared here. So Lord, I don't know exactly all of what you're doing, but I do know you are wanting to add day by day those who are being saved. So Lord, I pray that that might happen and we would be a community devoted to you. Do this not so any of our names are great or even this church's name is great, but so that Jesus Christ, that his name is great in the area of Newark and Newcastle County and Delaware and Mid-Atlantic in the U.S. and this world. Jesus Christ would be lifted up. We ask all this in his name. Amen.